Many things we need can wait. The child cannot. Gabriella Mistrial. everybody hello welcome it is time for another episode of felonious pundits i'm kentad svensgard and along with me please say hello to hello 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 to our good friend mr aj mass pew, 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 pew. here i am it is me ye oldie grizzled veteran of criminal minds back for yet another recap of a fine episode how are you sir I am doing well, AJ. I am excited. There are big things happening this episode. We will get to it. But first, yes, I will uh, go ahead and, and, and let you guys know if this is your first time with us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we recap Criminal Minds each week, and uh, I've never seen the show. And as AJ said, he's the grizzled veteran of the scene. And this week, what an episode we have for you. We have season two Episode four of Criminal Minds, it's entitled Psychodrama. Uh, this episode was written by Aaron Zellman and directed by our old pal Guy Norman B. And it originally aired on October 11th, 2006. AJ, I, I have a, a new feature for the show. For now, I'm calling it What Was Going On That Day That The Criminal Minds episode that we are watching on today's episode of Felonious Pundits originally came out. That title may be a little long. We may have to rework that. Sure, but. sure, sure, sure. I got it. Uh, how about uh, Nostalgic Minds? <laughs> nostalgic. Thank you. You're very good at that. On the spot. Uh, the sad thing that happened on the day that this episode came out, uh, you're probably familiar with being in the sports world. This aired on October 11, 2006. Same day we lost New York Yankee pitcher Corey Lytle in a small plane crash in New York City. Do you oh remember my. when that happened? Yes, I know exactly where I was when that happened. Probably listening uh, on a radio uh, no more than uh, 50 feet from where you were sitting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he was uh, he was killed. And also in New York that day, it was officially declared Final Fantasy Twelve Day. Okay. Uh, extremes of the uh, the news coin there. Yeah, no, Corey Lytle used to be with the Mets. Uh, I remember. I remember him. Well, so yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, you've opened up a, a wellspring of memories uh, in my mind, but uh, uh, you know, uh, the world turns, as they say. Yep. One last thing, AJ. The TV show Thirty Rock, Rock premiered on that same night as well. How unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Anyway, I guess uh, we'll see how this segment go. That segment goes, but as far as the future, but uh, I thought it'd be fun this time around. So no, I it, it just it, yeah, it just occurred to me. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast may not know that I was actually the mascot for the New York Mets for four years from oh, nineteen ninety four yes. to ninety seven, and Corey Lytle was on the Mets while I was mascot for the for the Mets. I, I remember him uh, being there at least one of my years. So uh, yeah, uh, memories, yeah. memories, memories. Uh, well, let's light the corners of our listeners' mind, AJ, uh, with our recap of this week's episode. I've got my misty watercolors ready. Let's go. <laughs> there we go. And I will say, in our in our post recap quiz last week, 
you know, you let me know that we were going to be dealing with a bank robber that makes his victims undress. And we start our teaser right in the middle of said action. <laughs> it is, you were completely right. Because it's criminal minds, our our view is switching between a, a bank robbery and the surveillance camera footage. We are getting like the live action, quote unquote, real time shot. And as well as seeing it in surveillance footage. And uh, we see a bank guard bloodied, handcuffed to a, a desk by our masked unsub who is wearing a ski mask. He's firing his automatic weapon into the air. People are panicking. And then we next cut to various victims in their underwear. They're crying. They're despondent. They're not happy. They're not having a good day. Uh, the unsub is yelling at one man. He's got to watch it, although we don't really know what he's talking about exactly yet. And then he grabs another man and, and pushes him along. And we get a close-up on a crying woman, and she's saying, please don't, please don't. Please don't. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, I like when they jump right in. Uh, we call it in media res. Just the action is already underway. It is just kind of a weird watching something here where, like, oh, he's wearing a mask. That's odd. <laughs> like, in today's society, it's like... Okay, yeah, he's wearing a mask. Oh, a ski mask. I see. Yes, that would be hot. Uh, yes. True story. Just last week, uh, I had an intruder on my porch show up in the middle of the night. Oh my god! Uh, he just he he was in some sort of uh, mental distress. He just kind of sat on on the on uh, one of the rocking chairs that we have on our porch, and you know we kind of heard him, my wife and I, uh, and we I opened the door, and he uh, was just like clearly just. Not out to get me, not trying to rob the place. He was just kind of like, he didn't know where he was. He was kind of in that situation. And so we called the police and, you know, said, oh, he's wearing a mask. They're like, oh, what kind of mask? I was like, is it a, ba like a ski mask? Like, oh, no, 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 just just, just a COVID mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to. Like, yeah, good Times point. have changed. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly have. We next cut to the BAU office. And like I said, it's surveillance video and they're watching it. And JJ's explaining the case. Apparently, over the past couple of months, the L.A. field office has been tracking a series of what is now four bank robberies. The bank robber is highly skilled. Like I said, he wears black ski mask. He has a unique M.O. He makes the people undress. He uh, takes their clothes and locks them into a vault and then goes for the cash. And Morgan's like, that's smart. Nobody's going to chase after him butt naked. And the... The subtitles say buck naked. Where do you stand on the buck versus butt naked um, <laughs> grammatical? Can, can I go off the board with Biff naked? <laughs> <laughs> She's a great singer. Uh, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so Reed points out that there's a psychological advantage to, to doing this too. He makes the captives' lives, uh, he makes them feel exposed, intimidated, much less Lita less likely to fight back. And Morgan's like, yeah, and that Mac-10 he's waving around probably had something yeah, to do with that you as know, well. the, the Display of control is one thing. Display of control while holding a weapon. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, it's Elle's turn this week to say, well, why is this case for us? <laughs> and JJ says, because it's the last robbery, we had a couple of things change. Number one, he beat the security guard nearly senseless. And number two, after he made them undress, he forced two pairs of the victims together at gunpoint and had them simulate sex with each other. 
and then trying to force the victims, the other victims to watch. Uh, she shows the pictures of the people that were chosen apparently for the <laughs> simulated sex. And I will just say it's, you see three pictures of mature older people. And then one guy that looks like he's in his thirties. Uh, and I just, I, I know it's not funny, but in my head, I was just thinking one of these things just doesn't belong here. One of these things just isn't the same. Yeah, You know what, though? I, I You know, you joke about it. But if Criminal Minds has taught us anything over the first uh, season plus that we're in here now, season two, it's that uh, these unsubs generally have a victim type. So in almost every episode, you're going to see one of these things doesn't belong here when they say, you know, it's like... Uh, Blonde woman, blonde woman, blonde woman, brunette. Wait, what's different about that? I mean, that's usually what solves these cases. So, although <laughs> I, 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 you know, yes, what, 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 all the things that look, the things that he does on this on this show, this unsub, are so uh, salacious and offensive and weird that CBS ain't showing us. So, you know. They can't, They don't even come close mm-hmm. to, like, usually it's like a flash of blood. Oh, he's decapitating the victims. How horrible. But, you know, they'll show you blood and spurts and things like that. Here's like, yeah, yeah, it happened. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's quick move on, move on, move on. <laughs> and obviously they keep saying naked, but these people are all in their skivvies because it's CBS. Probably exactly. if this was really happening, <laughs> uh, it'd be a different story. Ding, ding. So Reed is fascinated that this guy appears to have stumbled onto a psychological signature. And Elle's like, uh, yeah, he's a sex offender now, because that's what Elle talks about. And Gideon says, yep, but fueled by violent rage. Only this guy doesn't seem to know it yet. If he did, he wouldn't be robbing banks, leaving us to assume he means he would be up to worse things. And then we cut for some reason unnecessarily to a room with someone whose face we can't see, strapping a gun to his hand, practicing with it, sorting through bullets. Uh, (laughs) It was kind of an interesting shot. And uh, then we hear them saying, so our guy is a violent sex offender in denial, and he's a sexual predator who just escalated his crimes. So Gideon says he's a serial killer in the making. We get a little gunshot sound. We see a few more pictures of the still shots of the robbery and then go to opening credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds. Ratatat. <laughs> AJ, after the credits. Yes. We get the scene that I, you, and all of the felonious Pundai have been waiting for. Yep. Aaron Hotchner is in his office, getting ready to head to L.A. His wife Haley shows up, the excellent Meredith Monroe. Uh, He explains that he didn't answer when she was trying to call him on his cell phone because he's about to head to L.A. And uh, he was going to call her from the car. She does not look happy, AJ. And he's like, what? And she says, "Uh, seriously, you don't know what I'm here for? Jack? Hello, Jack? Dun, dun, dun. Jack Hotchner, ladies and gentlemen, finally gets introduced to we the audience. We finally find out the name Jack. Is, I'm, I'm surprised Hotchner go, who? What? <laughs> and I will point out, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this, but 
for the rest of the episode, there will be no more reference to the name Jack. It's just the kid, my son. <laughs> so, yes. Almost as if they filmed uh, this scene last and finally said, we got to come up with a name. <laughs> Uh, yep, almost. Uh, I don't know. I will have to say, you know, for all the hype I've been giving it, it did feel a little <laughs> bit anticlimactic <laughs> that it was just Jack. Just Jack. Uh, just Jack. <laughs> um, and I know I just said Richard, so I didn't have anything better. Like, if, if I was writing it, you know, I would have been calling him Little Richard Ooh. all the time. Uh, but but uh, anyway... We're off topic here. Let's get back to Let's get the back episode. to Jack. What's wrong with Jack? <laughs> anyway, yeah, Hodge is like, oh, damn, the tests. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, what happened? And Haley says, well, he has a condition, but it's treatable. He's going to be okay. I'm kind of curious. What can, like, how do you not say has a condition? Uh, yes, more details, please. Yes, exactly. And no, I'm going to, I'm going to spare you. I am not going to make you predict what the condition is. <laughs> Thank you. Because who will probably find out about that in season uh, seven. <laughs> basically, they have a strange conversation about him not being there for his family. And Haley doesn't want Hotch someday to wake up in some random city one day and realize that he doesn't know his son. But uh, basically, Hotch has to go. I mean, he offers that sort of courtesy. Oh, I'll stay. And, you know, she's like, no, you have to go. But they'll talk about it when he gets back. Fair, 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 fair. It's, uh, yeah, it's typical of uh, the conversations that we've seen uh, when he gets, you know, because he gets called away on Jack's birthday. And, like you know, it's like these things just continue to add up. Uh, you can see that this job puts a little pressure, not only on people uh, on the day-to-day, but in the home life as well. It's, uh, it's not easy. Yep. Uh, so we got Jack taken care of. That's one we can cut off the, cut off the list and, uh, <laughs> of predictions. And folks, if you don't, if you don't have any idea what we're talking about, clearly you haven't been with us <laughs> since the start of the show. Uh, but I would say listen to the season ender for season one, where uh, all my predictions that AJ has asked me to make were recounted. So go back and listen. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, go back to the episode. We cut to the BAU jet and Hotch gives us our opening quote, which actually turns out to be quite prophetic for these days and times. Uh, he says, man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask and he will tell you the truth. Oscar Wilde. Indeed, a mask, because that seems to be the only defining characteristic of this stuff right now. Yes. Uh, L is getting a fax on the jet and sees that they're calling this unsub the stripping bandit, which, as she correctly points out, makes it seems like he's the one taking off his clothes. And there's some brief attempt at some banter about what they should call him. But, of course, Hotch is now in a pissy mood, and he tells them all they need to focus. And they've got to learn about these four robberies before they get to L.A. I'm I'm like, you tell him, Hotch. The BAU jet is for victimology, not frivolity. Ooh, I like that. So. <laughs> victimology, not frivolity. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, discuss at this point, and Reed is at the case at this point, and, they, and Reed is like, is this guy more of a sex offender or, or a bank robber? 
And they need to know why these banks and why these victims, if they can, again, figure out what fantasy this guy is playing of, of the specific people, how is he fantasizing about them, uh, they might be able to predict his targets. Elle is looking at the photos and she says the last robbery, she doesn't see any pictures of what he made the victims do. And JJ said, well, there was some type of problem with the surveillance system <laughs> and that they're working on it. Uh, so now it's time to break the team up into their tasks. Reed will work on a geographical profile to see if there's a, a specific pattern to the banks. Hotch and, of course, L will look into the victimology in terms of the sexual aspects of the case, looking at the reports and whatever surveillance, surveillance footage they can get. And I think that leaves Gideon and Morgan left to look into the unsub himself, and it sounds that like they will do so by checking out the crime yeah, scene. Yeah, well, and of course, you know, and we'll just not tell JJ what to do because, you know, she's got her media job and that's what she does. But it would be nice to at least acknowledge that JJ's there, which they do not. So it's a little, yeah. a little disappointing, but so be it. We uh, cut to L.A. We know it's L.A. We cut to L.A. after a Kodak travel psych out. Because Morgan's got a picture True. in his hand, and he pulls out just a second. They go, no, we dissolve him, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was for people like us, AJ. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, we do know it's L.A. because we see several shots of freeways and traffic, which is obviously means L.A. And a bow SUV arrives at the Century Plaza Bank. A local agent is with Morgan and Gideon. He tells them that the suspect entered around 2 p.m., and a witness saw a man on a motorcycle with a backpack speed by a few minutes after the robbery. Uh, the location is very close to three different freeways. And uh, they wonder if they can figure out basically where the bike was parked so that they'll be able to see if they can get anything based on the bike. So they're going to check with local businesses to see if they have any security cameras that may have caught the bike. The uh, local agent says, are you guys ready? And first of all, don't ask me to name the local agent. I don't know if they said it at all during this entire episode. Never wrote it down. Just wrote, and, just wrote. I started, I was basically calling him cop guy one and the other non-named yeah. agent uh, cop will see me later on. I just called cop guy two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so cop guy one, he's like ready. And uh, they all head in. And as they head in, Morgan says, let's go rob a bank. Because he's hysterical. <laughs> it, it, it is uh, fascinating that, uh, you know, well, I wonder if there's cameras nearby. You know, it's, it's a big city. It's L.A. If this episode were filmed today, there wouldn't even be a question. It's like, let's just get the cameras. You know, it's New York, L.A., Chicago. We know there's going to be cameras. So, Plus all the cell phone footage from the people standing around. They oh, we'll get into the phone technology well. in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we cut to the FBI field office and Reed is looking at a big map of L.A. explaining to J.J. how they're going to narrow down a location based on where the robberies were and the fact that usually unsubs want to be close enough to home but far enough away to still remain anonymous. And so he's plotted all the banks' different data points on the map and an area where these lines intersect between them is the best estimate of where the unsub's home is. And JJ is like, okay, so how many people does that narrow it down to? And Reed says, a couple hundred thousand. 
And JJ just gives him a meme worthy, what you talking about, Willis look. And she just says, oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's LA. Again, it's, it, it makes sense that these tactics, if this was a smaller town or a smaller city with maybe three banks in it. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm, right. Oh, it's about 10,000 people. It's about 5,000 people. It's LA. It's going to take them a while. I, you got to give them a little bit of uh, leeway on this. Exactly. So next we have uh, another agent who I guess we're calling Cop 2. Uh, <laughs> he brings L the witness reports. Uh, they have a little flirty banner. I'm not going to get into it. It wasn't even worth enough. It was just a sort of a New Yorker, yeah, it, L.A. It, it, it just type of thing. Just enough to point yeah. out that he was definitely trying very badly to flirt with her, and she doesn't even acknowledge it. Not, not even to, like, roll her eyes and say, oh, gosh, he's flirting with me. I'm going to shut this down. She just, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> but actually, our main killjoy, who may have stopped this action, is our usual killjoy, which is Hotch. Uh, and he comes into the office asking if this is all the video equipment that they have. And uh, Cop 2 is like, it's ain't Quantico. And Hot says they need a place to set up a link back to their tech in Virginia. And Cop 2 is like, yeah, well, we got another bay that's just as crappy as this one down the hall. Um, so Hotch checks that L is all right. And then he follows Cop number two out of the office. Next, we cut back to the bank, the crime scene, the latest one, and Morgan gets to do his reenactment thingy with Gideon, and it feels like we haven't seen him do this for a little while. Yeah, it has, it has uh, been a while since he's he's gotten to walk the scene, as, as it's called. Yeah. And uh, of course, I don't I don't remember a scene where Gideon and Morgan have just been by themselves in a crime scene for a while either. So it's it's kind of uh, yeah. this, you know this is what he's been trained to do. This this is when the two of them are working together. So at least they're consistent in that when these two are together, that's that's what they do. And so I'm glad to see them go back to that and. I would hope that uh, we'd get to see this just become more par for the course when we get to these crime scenes. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's always fun watching their their interactions with each other. Well, you know, um, the name of the show is Criminal Minds. Like, this is the one of the few times where it really does feel like we're getting inside the mind of the criminal as Morgan kind of steps into the scene. Why would I stand here? Why would he do this? Like... That's the point of the show, I thought. And it it, it is weird. Mm-hmm. What are they just kind of like uh, just in these like in the jet or in the in the boardroom going, hmm, it could be this. It could be this. Get into the mines. Yeah, get into the mines. So uh, Morgan figures out where this guy must have stopped and fired his gun. And he figures out this spot is actually the best spot in the bank because he could see the tellers. He could see the back office. He could see the front door. So that leads him to conclude that this guy has, you know, been to this bank before, cased it out, etc. And then he looks at where the, he handcuffed the guards, or a guard, I should say, because it was just one guard. And this guard wasn't really a threat, so they wonder why he uh, continued to assault him after he had him handcuffed. And then they t- take a look at the pictures of the other guards at the other banks, and apparently they just wore black suits and this guard was wearing a guard uniform. So perhaps something about a person in uniform triggers our unsub. And uh, they conclude that it's not military necessarily. It's probably more likely prison. Yeah. And Gideon has a really nice, nice button to the scene. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's the best trade school in the country. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
which you know I, I like it when they give Gideon a joke. He's so well, especially especially because he doesn't he never delivers them as jokes. He, 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 it's it's a glib statement. Yes. So yeah, like yeah, great. We lock him up and we give him all the skills they need to be better criminals. <laughs> the bane of my existence. Yeah, exactly. So we see a, a bit more robbery footage, and then we hear Garcia saying. Well, she has access to the four robberies. What does she need to do? Hotch is like, you know your digital perspective, whatever software? And Garcia's like, digital perspective analysis rendering? Hotch is like, yeah. And Garcia says, not only do I know it, I helped develop that. Uh, <laughs> Hotch is like, okay. Uh, he wants every physical aspect of this unsub. Height, waist size, inseam, everything she can give him. And Garcia's all, honey, if he opens his mouth, I'll give you the length of his teeth. And Hotch is just like, keep it clean and don't call me honey. Look, He's not happy he, this week. He got haley this AM. I mean, we get it. Uh, Haley's Comet comes comes along, he's going to react. Yes. And un- unfortunately, these Haley Comet days are not <laughs> 75 years apart. So, it, you know, he's having a bad day. Although, mm. you know, I, we really could just... The writing of these scenes, it's like, we could just be like, hey, can you clickety-clack for me? Sure thing. <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you are correct. And uh, so then Hotch walks over to L after he's done with Garcia. And uh, he asks her if she's seen anything interesting yet in the files. And, and L says, maybe. And we see testimony from the woman that we saw crying in the first scene. And she's saying, he took his time, he looked at me, and then he pointed his gun at me. Elle says that this is the bank manager's wife. She was there to pick him up because they were going to celebrate their son's 16th birthday. Uh, By the way, their son was there and also their uh, daughter. So their whole family was there. We cut back to the bank and Gideon and Morgan have laid out the victim's pictures in the areas where they were forced to sit. And uh, it turns out the cop one who's with them is saying the unsub knew that the kids belonged to the manager and his wife because he checked all their wallets. And so Gideon says, so of all the 13 victims, he paired a woman in her 60s with a guy that was in his 30s. And then he paired a married couple in front of their kids. (laughs) So why did he do that? And Morgan says maybe they were the most inappropriate couples he could think of. This guy is sadistic. Maybe he could have taken them somewhere more private, but he chose this spot, the most exposed place in the bank. And Gideon says it's like a stage. And Morgan says, yeah, it was as important for them to have them see what was happening as it was for him. Public humiliation. This robbery wasn't about money. It was about getting off on what the what he made these people do and forcing everybody else to squirm and watch. And they have to know exactly what they were forced to do. They need to see what the fantasy is. So Morgan asked the local guy if he got a hold of the security photo, uh, videos. And he says, yes, but they were mostly erased. Apparently, Mr. Henderson, our bank manager, said he was so flustered when he was gathering the tapes that he hit the wrong button by mistake and erased part of them. Of course, they didn't believe that, AJ. And, uh, as- and why would you? I mean, yeah. that's, that sounds so incredible. I, I just, I, this show frustrates me sometimes. And this is one of those moments when it frustrates me because they're so willing to, like, 
cast the deepest net in terms of speculation early in episodes usually and it's like you're like hmm i can't figure out anything that would be a reason and i'm like the unsub is apparently i mean look to me to be potentially around 30 years old and there's a woman who's 60 30 okay that could probably be his mother figure i mean it, it makes perfect sense kids and parents like why wouldn't you just say huh Maybe this is something to do with the unsub's mother. Right then and there, is that's the first thing I would think of having watched the show for uh, a season and, and three episodes at this point. And they don't even think about that. It's like, what did he make him do? Like, really? You, you need to know exactly what he made him do? Isn't simulate yeah. sex just enough at that point? Yeah. Uh, let your, you know, let your mind figure it out. Like, we don't have to go over this. You're right. And, and, and we're on CBS. We're not going to go over this. <laughs> <laughs> That is for sure. Uh, that's a very good point, AJ. I, I agree with you 100%. So anyway, this guy, this manager denied that he did it on purpose. So they asked cop one if he ruled the bank manager out as being involved. And cop one is like, well, why would he be involved if he was going to go through something like that? They say, look, it's possible he didn't know what was going to happen. Maybe he got betrayed by the unsub or maybe he was coerced into it which has actually happened before, uh, Reed points out, that bank managers can get coerced into assisting in robberies for various different reasons. And the local agent says, well, yeah, none of that seems to be consistent with the MO of the earlier robberies. So they tell him, well, maybe there's a reason this one is different from the others. Q Garcia ringing in to say basically that after running the security footage through her system three times, she's getting this weird inconsistency with the last robbery. There's height differences. In the first three robberies, the robber appears to be six foot one, and the unsub in the last robbery, well, he's 5'10". So are they dealing with a different unsub? Maybe they're dealing with a different unsub who somehow managed to erase the tapes that show exactly what happened at the bank, and unsub now that they know may have possibly had inside help. And Gideon says, well, I think we should sit down and talk with the bank manager. You know, I mean, I think you were probably going to have to talk to him anyway. But, uh, okay, cool. So they've already speculated, hey, what made this one different than the other three bank robberies? Garcia comes on and says, hey, this guy is three inches shorter than the other three. Okay, what's different is this could be a different guy. This could be a copycat. This could be someone using a smokescreen with the bank manager. Makes perfect sense to me. Cool, let's go on. Let's investigate this and let's get this Henderson guy and get him to confess the fact that he's involved with this whole thing. Case closed. Lock it up. Let's get back home and uh, have our conversation with Haley about why we missed that important uh, hospital visit. Exactly. (laughs) Let's do that. So we cut to Hachi Gideon talking to the bank manager who admits to being nervous, apologizes for erasing the tapes. What else do they want him to say? Hotch is like, yeah, it took you nine minutes to call 911 after the robber left. And uh, the bank manager says, well, he was collecting the tapes. And Hotch says pointedly, before you even called 911. And the bank manager starts to realize maybe they think he had something to do with this. And he's like, you think I would put my family through this? And Gideon says, no, but you also wouldn't put them through those tapes getting out. Hotch says, you know, you were the only one who had access to those tapes, Mr. Henderson. 
At best, you erased them because you were embarrassed, and at worst, you're involved. So which would you rather have us think? Obviously, at this point, uh, he's no match for them, and he starts to break. Uh, but it's very hard for him to talk about this, AJ, because he was raised as a Baptist. Uh, <laughs> Gideon says, well, it's hard for any of us to talk about this because... This shit sucks. He doesn't say that last part, but... <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so Mr. Henderson really breaks down and he's just like the thought of anyone seeing those tapes, even the police, he's sorry. He just didn't think it would matter. And then he starts sobbing. And so later, Hotch is walking with Gideon and he tells him he thinks it's clear what this is about. And Gideon says, yeah, shame and humiliation. Good old standbys, AJ. Shame and humiliation. Which should have been the name of the episode, but nevertheless. Yes. <laughs> we cut to more bank robbery action, more naked people looking quite distressed, and then we cut to a commercial. Yeah. I, again, I think the writing of this episode is pretty weak. Uh, I, I, I do like the episode overall. Just as you know, by the time we get to the end, I, I like the episode. I think it, it works, uh, and it's, it's a nice filler episode before we start to get from you know some really good cases to start the season and another batch of really good episodes you're gonna have some dips throughout a season that's it i mean come on like okay mr bank manager who we think might be in on this which would you rather us believe that you were in on this or that you were just embarrassed i choose embarrassed that yep <laughs> that one sounds better to me and now i'm gonna cry boo i still am not gonna tell you what happened and uh boo embarrassed i pick embarrassed don't give the yeah. guy the out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we come back from commercial and Garcia is in her office pacing back and forth. Because she goes off her rocker when anything might indicate that her computing skills or her software or anything to do with her uh, area of expertise is called into question. So she's concerned about the height thing. She's pacing back and forth. She's like, there's nothing wrong with my software. And her feet hurt from all that pacing, and she takes off her high heels, and that gives her a, an idea, oh, it can still be the same unsub. And she calls the team and lets them know, you know, he could have just been wearing lifts inside his boots on the first three robberies. So the team ponders that information and wonder why if he was trying to throw them off on his height, he didn't have them for the last job. And they decide it could mean he's just getting careless, which would also mean that he's getting a bit more dangerous. Which is consistent with what they're saying here. Like, what made him go off this time? Why was this one different? So if he's getting a little more careless, he's getting a little bit more angry. He's, you know, devolving uh, very quickly here. Uh, the, the thing that I have a problem with is Morgan's like, you know, well, at least we know we're only dealing with one, one on sub here. Do we? Do we know? Do we know? I was just going to say the same thing if you weren't, AJ. I was like, well, yeah, now we have two possibilities, but we don't know. We may still have two separate uh, people. Yeah, more, more along the lines is, uh, okay, that's, we have an explanation that makes our first theory that it is the same old sub still viable. Because it couldn't be the same old sub if he was three inches shorter. Like, so Garcia came up with a nice fix for that, but that don't prove it. <laughs> right. Uh, so now we cut to the profile scene. We get Hotch saying all the usual stuff about who our that unsub is that we've already heard. 
but we do see during this, instead of them uh, showing like different famous bank robbers in the past, uh, we get to see our unsub actually uh, in action, so to speak. Uh, he's walking down the street with intention. He's putting on his face mask. Meanwhile, Elle's talking. She says we think he's somewhere between 23 and 35 in age. He's more than a bank robber. What started out as a practical MO of having the victim strip actually triggered some deep psychosexual response. And when he found himself in front of a bunch of naked people under his control, he snapped, decided to manipulate them. And that urge is getting worse. He's attacking banks earlier in the day when more people are present. And then that's when we cut to a quick shot of the unsub walking after he's put on his ski mask. And they say, well, he's sacrificing the safety of just having a few hostages to contain for the satisfaction of having more subjects to control. He'll be less interested in money and more interested in sadistically manipulating his captives. Uh, in all likelihood, they also throw in he'll be high on drugs. We cut to our unsub entering a bank. Then we go back to the profiler scene. Hotch is saying it's wrong to write this guy off as crazy. Uh, bank robbery is an ambitious crime that takes time to plan and pull off. And Gideon says this guy has a fractured psyche. On one hand, he's a cold, organized bank robber. On the other hand, he's a disorganized sexual sadist full of bottled up rage. We cut back to the bank. Our unsub fires his MAC-10 into the air. People panic and drop to the floor, as one would think. Uh, a woman starts crying, and a security guard accosts our unsub, telling him to drop his weapon. The unsub is like, no, you got one shot. You have one opportunity, yo. Uh, you can kill me. <laughs> oh, look at my shirt. Mine's spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> yes. He says, you can kill me, you can try, but I'll go down shooting even if you do kill me. And then we get a quick we get a quick cut to a boy waving at the guard from the back area, and he has a phone. And I'm like, this kid is pretty brave. I wouldn't peek my head. Like, if I heard what was going on, I wouldn't be peeking my head out there to, like, let people know. I would be in a, in, under a I'd desk. I'd be looking for the back door. <laughs> yeah, well, true, true. <laughs> True that. But uh, anyway, we do see that. We do peep that out real quick. Uh, and that the fact that he has a phone. After a brief standoff, the guard puts down his gun because this other criminal has a bigger gun, basically, <laughs> and appears to be more threatening. We stay on the action of the scene, but the profile is continuing and Gideon is saying the two parts of this guy's psyche have just begun to bleed together. And when they finally converge... We're talking about a criminal with the skills and efficiency of a master bank robber and the rage of a suicide bomber. He will explode. We cut back to the bank robber. He's pacing. He's looking at his current crop of victims. He walks around a desk and there is one guy who is still dressed there and he yells at this guy, you know, take off your clothes. And then this man refuses and the robber sprays gunfire around him by the side, you know, shoots at him. And I said, take off your clothes. And he's Dance yelling at him. Dance, Dance! <laughs> and this man is still refusing. Uh, so he gets basically a major beatdown from our unsub. We see him attacking. And then we cut back to our office. And the agent, Cop 2, comes in and says that there's a robbery in progress corner of Washington and Sepulveda and uh, there's some kid in a back room who made a call 
said the robber is starting to force the people to undress and our team heads out. Why do you think, I don't think we really know why this guy decided to make a stand and not undress. No, it, it's it's very odd. It's, it's very strange. I mean, look, none of us know, unless we're in these situations, how we're going to react in these situations. But it, it, it seemed like a weird, weird stand to make at that point there. I, I, I get it that, you know, you know, there's the old adage, like, don't let a kidnapper take you to the second location. Fight yeah. where you are and and put it all on the line but this is just like why draw attention to yourself and you know single yourself out for being the first one to get shot if he decides to snap it just doesn't make sense i will also say like the technology of the time really starts to come into play here because of course kids got a flip phone yeah (laughs) i mean he it's not like he can open up the live stream for the cops to see what's going on right Uh, hey hey youtube i'm in the middle of a bank robbery oh (laughs) by the way don't forget to smash that subscribe button (laughs) no instead he's pressing each button up to three times to get the correct letter <laughs> yeah, it 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 just goes to show how our society's technology has impacted these situations a lot, a lot. Yeah, definitely uh, has. Yes. So we cut back to the bank, and we only finish hearing the beatdown of this guy from the previous scene. We actually don't see it. We just sort of hear the the end of it, and then we see our our robber stalking through the bank. Uh, looking at the victims, sort of casing the joint, as it were, just kind of studying everything. Which, again, uh, shows to the point that like he is devolving, because he didn't even have time to scope this place out, much like even the last one where things went a little screwy and different from the other. Uh, this one, he just kind of walked in the bank. He didn't know where he was doing. He's not standing in the, in the perfect location. He, he's clearly not as sharp as he used to be. Right. Our cop one and Hotch are racing to the scene, along with some other police cars. Hotch asks cop one how far they are from the bank, and he says, without traffic, 10 minutes. So Hotch says, let's avoid traffic. And uh, he puts on the siren, and they take off, even driving on the sidewalk at one point in order to avoid said traffic. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm surprised the cop just didn't say, avoid traffic in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's got to be dangerous just driving on the sidewalk well, like that. <laughs> although, I will say, you're going to get away with it in Los Angeles because everybody drives in Los Angeles and nobody walks. So the fact that there are no pedestrians actually isn't all that surprising here. If this was New York, I'd, I'd be going, bullshit! <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So anyway, we cut back to the bank and our unsub wants to know... That he has everyone's attention and one woman seems to give away. She kind of gives a glance toward the back room. I'm like, lady, come on. Um, So, of course, uh, our unsub notices this and goes to investigate. Meanwhile, uh, Hotch is asking cop one how they're how they're doing. And he says five minutes and Hotch is all make it three. I'm like, come on, give this guy a break. (laughs) Like. I mean, I get it, Hodge. Come on, faster, faster. Like, no, no, five minutes not good enough. Make it three minutes. Oh, okay, I can't, dude. Car don't fly. So uh, then we see that our robber has found a, it appears to be like a teenager in the back office, back room. 
the kid has a phone and the kid obviously is looking at him looking pretty scared as he should be. But why is the flip phone still open at this point? He's already called 911. What more can he do with his phone? Hold it up and put it in your pocket. Hide it somewhere. Put it in your pocket. Yeah. I agree. I mean, yeah, was he playing a, I'm in the middle of a really intense game of Snake. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Hotch and the local agent, cop number one, they're almost there. And outside the bank, we see that there's this traffic cop, and she's looking at the motorcycle, like about to give it a ticket or something. Uh, something has drawn her attention to the motorcycle, which he did park right in front of the bank. He probably parked it, as we said, he's getting sort of unhinged, so he probably parked in a loading zone or something. Or, or with an uh, you know, expired meter or something, didn't feed yeah. the meter first or whatever, yeah. So uh, the cop asks if it's his bike because he's walking toward her. He doesn't have his mask on at this point. Uh, but we don't see his face. And he just punches her violently, and she goes down. That was kind of a shocking little moment. That was it was shocking. I got to tell you, I, I pressed pause on, on my Netflix uh, to, to take note of that moment. But it's quite a freeze frame, too. If you want to go back and take a look at her, just like, decked, like, whoa! <laughs> wow, yeah. She went down! <laughs> Excellent stunt work. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... This guy, he hops on his motorcycle, takes off. Hotch and everyone else arrive at the bank. The guard is outside saying the guy took off. And the cop, the traffic cop, is unconscious on the ground. So they get an ambulance called for her. And Hotch tells Gideon that the unsub is heading his way. Okay. And uh, the cop number one is... You know, away from the bank. Oh, okay. I don't know. It makes no sense. Yeah. Hotch clearly doesn't know these roads if he thinks he could just find a non-traffic way to get there. Yeah. The uh, cop is like, cop one is like, you know how hard it is to catch a motorcycle from a car? And Hotch is like, yeah, but let's try not to think about that. Okay. We got some time to kill this episode. And I got to tell you, I don't know how long this motorcycle chase scene goes, but it goes a really long time. Mm Mm-hmm. They get uh, L and Gideon. I think was Gideon. Gideon is driving, isn't he? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, that seemed kind of odd to me. But this guy they're happens. The fo- they're the follow vehicle, you know. They're not yeah. trying to rush there. They're just going to get there quickly. But you know, they're they're yeah. going to get there at their own pace. Man, this this chase scene is just up and down and around and through. AJ, I wrote this guy must be have like uh, X Games level of uh, motocross skills because he's he's uh, doing all kinds of little stunts. Uh, they turn down one of those. <laughs> yeah, I figured it out. Our unsub is Travis Pastrana. <laughs> <laughs> he gets away by turning down one of those L.A. viaducts that you always see in in the movies. Uh, the L.A. River. My, yes. Yeah. The LA River. My prime example. <laughs> And uh, Thunder Road, as I like to call it. <laughs> yeah, and, and this guy, like I said, he he even trolls them. He pulls off a willy as he's <laughs> as speeding off and getting away. Yeah, that that look. I will grant you that as you know, it, perhaps the adrenaline's flowing, and he, he it's not a perfect chase by any means. He, he, he drives down the wrong alley at one point, but he's on a motorcycle, so he can maneuver and everything. I'll grant him all that. Come on, the wheelie. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, really? So uh, next we cut back to the bank. Hotch is saying this is the first time that this guy has made so many mistakes. He hit the bank in the morning when there were more people around. He didn't clear out the back room. 
He parked the bike right out front. He didn't take any money. Cop said, one says, yeah, he did everything you guys predicted. <laughs> and Morgan says, sometimes it sucks to be right because he's looking at the body of the uh, gentleman before who refused to take off his clothes. Yeah, it didn't look like he'd hit him hard enough to to die. Like, But, you know, who knows what he did before he left the bank. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap, the kid called 911. I got to get out of here. Bam, bam, bam. Punch, punch, punch. Yeah. Uh, he's clearly, he's clearly, uh, no longer, uh, thinking clearly this unsub and it's only a matter of time before he completely snaps. Uh, I, again, we've gone through all these episodes and usually the cops fall into the two categories, the ones who will really get what the, what the BAU is all about and are helpful. The ones who are antagonistic, don't want the BAU there and just put up roadblocks and why are these guys here again? <laughs> because it's formula. We have to they're have not, they're, to... <laughs> they're neither helping nor hindering. It's just like they're just like they're just gonna go. And what what next? Come on, tell me, tell me what next? It's kind of frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the guys speculate. They fear that this guy is uh, probably at the beginning of a spree of some kind. And Morgan asks Hotch how JJ is doing on the suspect list. So that's what she must have been tasked with. Yeah, why is JJ doing the suspect list? Like, it's very weird. Like, she should be media-relating. Mm-hmm. Oh, but no, she's, I mean, she's going to do a good job on the suspect list, I'm sure. But, like, just odd that they didn't tell, tell us that that's what she was doing. Yeah. Hotch says he's going to call her, and he's also going to get Reed and L on it, too. And uh, Cop 1 asks if he thinks that they're going to that he's going to rob a bank again. And uh, they don't think so. They think he doesn't care about money anymore. Whatever he's after, though, he is going to hurt anyone that gets in his way. Yeah, and after the fact that this bank robbery went so horrifically bad, why would he put himself in that situation again? Right. We next cut to a video playing on a phone of a toddler walking and playing with the ball. We pan out a little bit, and we see that it's Hotch sitting in a car watching his video. Obviously longing to be with his family. Morgan comes up, asks if he's called Ellen Reed. He says he has. Morgan asks, what's that? And Hutch says, well, this is my son's first steps. I was out of town and Haley sent me the file. And Morgan's like, ah, that's nice. Which is not the right reaction. Because my assumption was that he just missed his son's first steps. Right. To which, to which, you know, then, oh man, that sucks, man. Would be the proper reaction, not oh, that's nice, right? <laughs> like, oh, that's like, oh, man. you got the video. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, beautiful. fuck, you couldn't have been there. Would have been my reaction. I'm just saying. <laughs> but Hotch further elucidates on the matter. He says, "Yeah, this this video is five months old, and he hasn't loaded anything on his phone since then because there's no loaded memory on his phone." To load. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, the technology vacuum that we're in watching this today and looking back going, wow, that was actually something back then. You could actually have a video on your phone. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I can't can't imagine there'd be too many videos that he'd be able to save on his phone at that time, technology-wise. Yeah, Uh, I agree. Um, Morgan's like, okay, you know, it's okay because you're going to film a new new film when you get home and i mean hodge gives him a wry little smile and you know morgan leaves so uh, he tried morgan tried 
it, 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 <laughs> sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of, kind of, kind of, sort of there. Although I will, I will say just uh, to put a pin in this, and it's not, it's not a big deal pin, but just put a pin in this. I, I, I like the fact that Jack's first steps were towards a soccer ball, and that's all I'm going to say. Hmm. Nice. So next we cut to uh, JJ, Elle, and Reed, and Elle is going through JJ's list of suspects, which is about 360 names. Elle's like, there's only a handful of guys with sex crimes on their rap sheets here, and none appear to be sexual sadists. Reed doesn't seem surprised. He says bank robbers and gun nuts are typically not sex offenders. And JJ says, uh, looking at somebody's record, well, how about a pimp? (laughs) Roland Lich, 32 years old. And Reed says, well, pimps are characteristically sociopaths and in many cases sadistic. And uh, Elle is like, yeah, I guess that's how they control their employees. And JJ says, this guy started out robbing convenience stores before working his way into pimping. Reed says, that's unusual because pimps typically violate by proxy, whereas bank robbers usually operate in pairs or alone. So he's sexually sadistic and has experience with armed robbery. Reed says, and he fits along with all the other parameters that we have for the profile. So this guy seems maybe like he'll be a likely suspect. So JJ says she's going to get in touch with Roland's parole officer. Now, again, this is just one of those situations where this scene is just very sloppy. It's like Elle's looking at JJ's suspect list that she's narrowed down to 360 names. She looks at it for like two seconds and goes, well, none of these are sexual sadists. Like, how does she know that that quickly? Uh, and then when JJ's like, oh, well, if it's not anybody on that list of 360 names, how about this file that I just happen to have here sitting here? Would a pimp do? Or is JJ just that good of a detective that, you know, she's like, you know, I know you said these were the parameters, but what if we looked at this guy? Because I have a feeling about this guy. That would have just made more sense to me in terms of of crafting it. I mean, I like it because it's JJ did good work. (laughs) And I like Mm -hmm. the fact that we keep establishing that she's the best detective of the team in terms of actual police work. (laughs) Uh, What's then really weird at the end of the scene is that JJ says... Okay, well, since I found this guy, I'll reach out and I'll get in touch with his parole officer, right? Wrong, AJ. Oh, what? Because in the next scene, (laughs) we see our parole officer at a food truck trying to get his grub on, but he has been accosted not by JJ, but by Gideon and Morgan. Yeah, and clearly JJ has not talked to him because he has no idea what what they're really, who they're talking about or anything like that, so... Clearly, by JJ saying, I'll get in touch with the parole officer, it was, hey, Gideon, uh, here's this, what's going on here, and uh, this is this guy, Roland Lynch, I'm looking I'm looking at, and uh, I found out the name of his parole officer is, I got it, I'll take it from here. <laughs> exactly. So they talked to the parole officer, he hasn't talked to his client in about a month, this guy's a real jerk, he used to punish his girls by raping them in front of their little sisters, uh... Uh, he does have a drug habit, um, and his parole officer doesn't have a current line on him, but after a little bit of Morgan convincing, he says he'll make some calls to see what he can do. Yeah, which just basically means that someone else will start making those calls. Right. That's what we've established here. If you say you're making the calls, then someone else will just find the guy for you. (laughs) Exactly. We, uh, cut to a, what I'm just going to call a honky-tonk. Hey, honky-tonk, did you happen to check the name of said honky-tonk? No, I didn't even 
see the name. It just it just struck me because the name of the honky tonk is JJ's Paradise. Oh, that's hysterical. Okay, <laughs> nothing to do with our JJ. But if you have a character named JJ, maybe just use a different establishing shot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we cut to JJ's apparently, and the. Uh, not our JJ. Uh, and the uh, FBI bursts in. They're shouting FBI. We're looking for Roland Lynch. They find him quite quickly. And uh, Morgan gets to be all, don't even move, as they capture him. Because he's Morgan and he has to be in on that kind of stuff. And uh, he disarms Lynch. And Morgan is like, I can count 16 different ways you violated parole. And Lynch is all, well, so they send, they send in the feds for busting parole. They say, no, we're here for the bank robberies and the delivery man you killed. <laughs> uh, Lynch denies it. He says he's not going to tell him anything else. They threaten him by letting him know it's going to be tough in prison once we let him know what a pervert you are. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he just seems out of it. He's like, guilty he as charged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they start to realize that this guy is probably high out of his mind. So they decide they're going to take him back to the office for a little quality time with Morgan. Uh, but at the same moment, we cut to a ski masked unsub who's walked into a diner and starts shooting in the now, air. Before you get too far into this other scene here, there was a funny little misdirect that they pulled as the transition to these scenes, which I which I thought was very funny. Um is that they they say, well, let's take him away and we'll interrogate him. And like, you think he's going to come clean? It's like, well, you know, we'll get him some cup of coffee and we'll stick him in a room for six hours. Cut to a cup of coffee being poured from a coffee pot, pull out, and we see it's the cafe, not the interrogation. I thought that was a nice little uh, trick for TV Misdirect. to like just yeah. play. Oh, you thought you thought we were going to the interrogation because we just said coffee, but no. So I, kudos to Criminal Minds and the editing team for that one. That was That was a good little visual joke. Yeah, and by the way, I did notice that this diner had a B rating from the Board of Health, which I think will be worse <laughs> after this incident. Well, it's not the health code that <laughs> but, was violated here. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, yeah, so he goes, the unsub goes into the diner and starts shooting up and, not shooting up, shooting his gun. Shooting directly up, yes. <laughs> yes. He may have shot up, but... Yes. <laughs> uh, and again, that Next. was that, that was a weird thing. There, like, like Morgan thinks he's he's. I mean, certainly he's caught the guy that they were looking for, Roland Lynch. He's like, he thinks he's the guy, but like he didn't have the same type of gun on him. So, which is just not that a criminal can't have two guns, but you know, it was a little odd that it was just a little handgun in his pocket of the guy that Morgan caught, as opposed to a machine gun. Yeah. So Morgan does call in. And he's talking to L to tell him that they got their guy uh, and that he's a hardcore prison rat. <laughs> uh, and as he's telling her this, unfortunately for him, JJ comes in to announce the incident that's going on at the restaurant. She says, you know, we have a ski mask wearing suspect. He started making people undress. And unfortunately, he just shot a 14 year old. Um, L asks when this happened. And JJ says 10 minutes ago. So L tells Morgan, hardcore or not, you got the wrong scumbag, and we cut to commercial. Yeah, I mean, uh, they were they were a little uh, cocky there, the BAU, I think, thinking they'd gotten the guy. And uh, no, I, I think uh, Roland Lynch has a pretty good alibi. Right. 
we come back and they are at the restaurant. They're looking at the security footage. Uh, we see the unsub come in and start separating all the kids from their parents. And then we see on the video, he starts to force a boy to actually punch his mother. It's terrible. And after doing one hit, apparently this kid refused to do it anymore. And then we see the unsub shoot at the boy. We don't see the actual boy getting shot. We just see him shooting at the boy. Yeah, um, but I mean, he doesn't just shoot him once. I mean, the type of gun he has, he's, he yeah. riddles this kid with bullets. It is off screen, but this this kid's not getting up from this. Yeah. This kid's dead. I, I think that's what we could take from this, which is very, very uh, upsetting just to watch. And certainly it's a pretty good reason why Hotch gets so upset he has to leave the cafe because we're talking about a, a, a guy who's thinking about his son and thinking about his son and thinking about his son. And now, oof. Yeah, he's like, you don't do this to someone else's kids just to get off because Gideon's like, he's just playing out a fantasy. Hotch says it's it's his fantasy, but it's somebody else's kids. But Hotch just isn't buying it. He's saying you internalize the violence. You take it out on other people. Why force someone else to do it? Why force children to act out your rage? And Gideon says, well, he didn't make the children do anything at the bank. The manager just said he put the parents together and Hotch says, so why is he focusing on in on the kids now? And Gideon just says, well, we need to talk to the bank manager again. Cut to them talking to the bank manager and his wife. And also apparently their kids are there sitting behind them. Uh, he, and the bank manager is saying again, I don't know what else I can say. I've already gone over it three times. Hotch says they need to know if there's something in the tape that he doesn't want them to know about. Um, the manager is like, look, there were 12 other people in there forced to watch. What am I hiding? What could I be hiding? And Hotch, you know, senses the truth. And he's like, well, this is about your children, isn't it? You can tell that that's it. Mr. Henderson is, you know, they tell him this is very important. He's already killed two people. He's not going to stop. And Miss, Mrs. Henderson appears to be just fed up. Uh, she stands up and says, God, go ahead. Tell him. Just tell him what he did to us, what you let him do. And Henderson is just like, he had a gun. He was going to kill me. And his wife gives him a, a death stare and then gets up and gathers the kids and walks out of the office. And Henderson is like, look, they took my family away from me. They We can't even look at each other anymore. He starts sobbing again at this point. We cut next to Hotch and Gideon walking away from the office. Hotch is saying he doesn't know how a family gets over something like this. And Gideon says, well, they don't. Uh, the Henderson's son comes up behind them and says, excuse me. He wants to know if it's true that this guy would have killed his father if he had tried to stand up to him. Hotch says, there's no way to know, Darren, but your father did the right thing. And Gideon asks if he has a reason to doubt that for, for anything. And Darren says, well, it's just that the robber said something afterwards. He said that he was sorry. And Gideon gives Hotch a look. Yeah, now, none of this makes any sense to me. It really doesn't. Because if it is indeed true that all the other witnesses saw what exactly he made them do, then it, probably by now they'd know exactly what he made them do because these other witnesses probably had not 
nearly as much incentive to not talk about it. I mean, surely it was probably not enjoyable and it was, it was uncomfortable, but it didn't happen to them. So they can certainly say, oh, well, he kind of did this, this and this. I'm sure they know by now or could if they really wanted to know. So there's no reason to keep punishing poor Henderson. I'm I'm not going to, uh, you know, it's a fictional family. But, in, you know, if this had happened in real life, People are going to react how they're going to react. So the inter-family relationships there, sure, they are what they are. But again, I don't, I don't know why the son would then question his father for letting this happen just because the guy with the gun said, "I'm sorry." After none of this makes any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of get the 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 mother feeling blank. Like that's a common thing to feel like the other person is at blame if they don't quote unquote, stand up for themselves. I mean, there's issues there, but it's, it's, uh, it is strange exactly how you laid it out. I, I agree with you. Yeah, it, uh, it, and, it, and we're not going to get resolution to this either is the other thing. It's like, why set this up? I kept waiting. I'm waiting for the, the big reveal. He made me do this. And like, that's going to help him solve the case or something. Uh, it really, it's not important at all. And even this, well, he said he was sorry, and we'll get into the discussion that that follows after that. But it's like, really, that's that's what you're sticking with that the the guy, <laughs> the guy who robbed the bank and made you a strip and should have like, hey, sorry about all this. I, I <laughs> it's my dad's fault, man. <laughs> you know, dads. <laughs> you know, if your dad had told me to stop, I would have stopped. I'm sorry you had to see this, man. <laughs> that's not what happened. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we do cut next to the team sitting around a table, and Morgan is saying, "Ah, oh, he apologized," <laughs> and uh, Elle is having some good sense. She's saying, "Well, sadists don't apologize. They may gloat, but they don't apologize." We got that part of the profile wrong, is what Gideon says. So at least he can say if they got something wrong. Yeah. Elle of says course, he did, of course, you notice Gideon said they got it wrong, but he didn't apologize for it. That. Oh, no, he did not. <laughs> Sadist. <laughs> so Elle says he didn't derive any sadistic pleasure from these fantasies, so it's more like a compulsion. And Reed says, well, compulsion, that's literally life or death, because if anyone interferes, he kills them. It's like he's compelled to direct these fantasies using these people as actors. Morgan says, actors on a stage, it's a play. And that gets Reed to say, it's a psychodrama. Pew, 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 pew. Title, 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 title. <laughs> Episode title. So JJ is like, what is that? And uh, he says, well, it's a form of psychotherapy whereby actors serve as surrogates for the actual people in the patient's life. And Gideon says it incorporates many elements of theater, including having an audience. And Reed says that there's a very famous pilot program for this at the San Luis Obispo County Jail. Uh, this was in the mid-90s that they had a pilot program for this, and it's just a couple of hours from where they are. So now they decide to go over the suspect list with that information and see how many of their suspects did time in San Luis Obispo. We cut to Garcia saying, the answer is four. <laughs> yeah, and Garcia, suddenly, suddenly they, they enlist Garcia to click and click and click as opposed to just L looking at a list and coming up in two seconds. None of them are sexual sadists. Yes. Um... And of course, Morgan is greedy. He's like, he gets the answer of four. And he's like, come on, tell me you narrowed it down more than that. I'm like, 
there's more people on the team than there are suspects now. Isn't that been enough? It, yeah. It, when we started, he had it down to 350,000 people. <laughs> like, come on. Um, but yes, of course, Garcia has narrowed it down. Only two of them live in California and only uh, one is in L.A. And so Morgan is like, ah, that a girl. And Garcia says, we're looking for Caleb Dale Shepard. Last known address, 236 Harbor Lane, Harbor Lane in Inglewood. And Reed, who must be able to memorize maps as well, uh, says that it's only 1.6 miles from the last restaurant he hit. And JJ looks at him and he confirms that he has been studying a lot of L.A. maps. <laughs> and, uh, that was a nice, nice, little, nice little joke there. Just a quick, quick little aside here. Uh, one of my things that I noticed when I'm looking in the background and stuff, but Garcia has narrowed it down to the one suspect and his picture's on the screen and on the right-hand corner of her terminal is his like release form from prison. And there's some comments below written by presumably the head of the prison who is uh, or the parole board saying, you know, he's, he's of good mind and character. He has served his time and he can leave. And the, the guy who signed off on his release was Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> why do they do that i don't know but it made me chuckle that's funny i mean yeah okay um yeah hey look i i I didn't put it there uh it does make me think that i have never seen assassins there you go Ah, do what you you think yeah I've never seen or heard the... Okay, anyway. <laughs> I digress. So, uh, yeah, Reed says he's been studying a lot of L.A. maps. And Hutch says, well, if he's been attacking places now that are that close to his home, he's given up any interest in protect- protecting his identity. So they decide they all need to go down there. Uh, they're going to split up. Half of them are going to go to his home address, and the other half are going to just sort of randomly patrol the area around the restaurant in case this they can spot this guy on the hunt. And we do have an interesting series of shots here of our unsub and flashing lights every few seconds in a way that seems to be painful to him. And he's slapping his head and grimacing as he's looking out his window shades and, and, and he grabs his weapon. That was there. Uh, there was a break. And then we come back and we see the same flashing lights again. And we see a woman. We see several sharp cuts, several different pictures of this woman. And then we see an unsub burning a picture of this woman, holding his hand above the flame, looking pretty cray-cray in general. And we cut to this woman. And this actress is doing a good job of portraying a drugged up and loopy not in a funny kind of way, um, but in a sad kind of way, uh, lady. She doesn't know where Dale is. She says he doesn't live there anymore. He's a grown man. They ask her if she has any idea how much trouble her son is. She's like, he's a good boy. He's just lost his way a bit. That's all. And Hotch is like, well, that's one way to look at 12 years in and out of prison. And she says, you've never made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I loved I love like you said, this this actress is doing a really good job of of not only portraying someone who's a little not all there herself, but I do love the basically her two arguments back to back are he's a grown man, he's a good boy. <laughs> yes. Well which is he lady? 
Uh, Gideon says, your son spent some time in a juvenile home. And she says, yeah, he was out of control. He even attacked his own sister once. You know, one of those little things she must have been talking about. Yeah, he even attacked his own sister once, but uh, his father died, so it wasn't his fault. And so Gideon says, uh, well, was it yours? And she doesn't even really seem to understand that question. She's just sort of out of it. And Reed holds up a bottle of pills that he's found, and he says, well, how many of these did you take today, Mrs. Shepard? And... uh, She's like, well, I've had back problems my whole life, <laughs> uh, which I think is someone, something someone would say who's taken a bit more of their painkillers than they're supposed to. Oh, yes, that's definitely a uh, rote justification answer. And uh, Hotch and Gideon leave outside the house. Hotch says this woman is completely out of her mind. And Gideon says when she's really lonely and she'll just keep talking to us. But I, I doubt she's going to tell us where he is. Uh, Reed comes up to him, says he was talking to Garcia. Apparently, Shepard's sister died of suicide 12 years ago. So another sad picture to the puzzle. And Gideon says, wow, this lady sure did a number on her kids. And uh, Hotch says she's probably lonely after the husband died. She's on painkiller. She's not in her right mind. And nobody there to turn to but uh, Shepard and his sister, And Reed says, so now he's symbolically punishing his mother. Gideon says he's playing out a fantasy. Sons gaining total control over their mothers. An agent comes out of the house and says he's got something. It's a matchbook and it says uh, written on it, Dale, Daybreak Hotel. So now they have a location. We cut to the hotel. This scene was funny to me, (laughs) AJ. This scene was awesome. (laughs) Because Ellen Morgan, (laughs) Ellen Morgan, they pull up. They to the hotel. They rush to the front desk. Maybe I missed it, but it seems like they don't say a there word. There is no dialogue in the scene. <laughs> they come up to the front desk. They hold up the badge. They hold up a picture of the unsub. The motel owner looks at the picture and hands him key 117. <laughs> yes, she doesn't say anything back. She hands them the key. It's just complete communication. And and it's it's realistic because you could see that completely happening in such a situation. I mean, this, Somebody, yeah, this this motel owner has like been through it, like <laughs> knows the clientele. It's like, oh, which one? Like, just looks. Which one? Uh huh. Here you go. <laughs> so, uh, and by the way, you know, is giving Morgan a key ever? <laughs> well, no, yeah, that, that, that's the beautiful thing. They go to the room. You know, are are you in there? Are you the FBI? Like, would you like, you know, L, like gives him the key. Would you like the key? He's like, I already got a key. <laughs> and he kicks in the door. And, I, it's funny because it's yeah. Morgan knocking on the door, which we've already noticed is something that he's going to do as many times as possible. But at, at the same time, you know, this motel owner, or at least the desk clerk, was cooperative. Why, why are you going to yeah. do that? Make, now this person's going to have to order a new door. <laughs> It is it is completely unfair, and uh, Morgan has has a few flaws, and I would say that's one he doesn't care about other people's personal there you property. Go. I'm or, with you, or, man. Like, nah, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Morgan. <laughs> so uh, anyway, they go into room 117 and clear it out. Make sure no one's in there. Uh, no one is there. We do see a map and some photos on the bed, and uh, L discovers some crystal meth on the nightstand. Um, so Morgan's like, oh, well, he's probably halfway out of his mind by now. 
Elle holds up the ski mask, she says, which would explain why he left this behind. And Morgan looks out front and he sees that the bike is there. So this guy must be on foot. So uh, Morgan decides he's going to call Hotch. We cut to Shepard and he is indeed walking down a residential street. We hear kids playing and he spots a child's birthday party, which is not good news. Uh, he heads over that way. Morgan lets Hotch know the situation. Reed says he must still be in the neighborhood. How do they find him? At this point, he'll probably hit the first thing that catches his attention. And Gideon says, families, public place. If the trend continues, he's going to look for a bigger audience. So public place with families. Reed says there's a public park right nearby. 0.6 <laughs> miles from where they are now. 0.6 miles, and if you drive two blocks past, you go past it. But if you drive one block, it's a bit just say turn right here, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So now we cut to the party. Uh, people are having fun. They're playing Go-Go's Our Lips Are Sealed. Fun old song. But I don't know if it's really appropriate for a kid's birthday party. But they don't know. They're dancing. They're bouncing around in one of those bouncy castle tents. Great party. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we pan over and... Guess who's been invited, but not invited. Yes. Guess who's there without an invitation is what I meant to say. It's our unsub, and he's got his Mac-10 clearly out in the open. And a woman who was getting up, sitting at a bench getting up, she does notice him, and she starts to look frightened. We cut to the cops' cars searching the, the neighborhood. They can't find Shepard. Cut back to the party. Shepard is passing back and forth, looking over his captive crowd because he's got the gun out. By now, they all realize today's a bad day. He walks up to the mother that we noticed earlier. So who knows what's going to happen there? <laughs> then we cut back to the park, AJ. Gideon is scanning the neighborhood. Apparently, the park is right across the street from the house of the party where the bouncy castle is. We can see the bouncy castle. I had all those kids coming over and I live across the street from the park. <laughs> Guess where my party would be, AJ? Uh, in the park? <laughs> yes. Not at my I will, house. I will, I will say this scene made me utter a sentence out loud that I never thought I would. It's like, thank goodness they bought a bounce castle. <laughs> right. <laughs> if uh, not for the bounce castle, your kid would be dead. <laughs> yeah, so... Gideon, the point is Gideon notices the party and uh, he realizes that the per there's a party over there. We cut back to the party. And at this point, Shepard has a knife to a young boy's throat. He's telling the crying boy to do it. And the kid has the Mac-10 pointed at his mother. He's like, no, no. Shepard is yelling at him to do it. He's crying, no. His mother is saying, just do what he says. It, this is kind of heartbreaking. It's okay, sweetheart. Mommy says it's okay. It's really a terrible scene. Uh, and you would hate that anyone would do this to anybody. And uh, Shepard is looking. And while his mom is saying it's okay, he's looking at her. And it's his mother saying this rather than the woman that's actually in front of him right now. Submitting so the delusion. Yeah, he's deep in it. But this gives time for our team to roll in. Drop the knife. Hey, drop the knife. Gideon's like, it won't fix you, Shepard. It doesn't matter what you make them do. How many people are watching you? He looks confused. 
for a second, but Hotch ain't playing today. Hotch <laughs> is not gonna Hotch is not gonna risk anything. Uh he shoots him straight up in the arm, shoulder, fleshy part of the shoulder area there. So he wasn't shooting to kill. He does disable this guy. Uh the boy is let loose, so he runs to his mom. Hotch is gonna be the one performing the takedown instead of Morgan because it's very personal for Hotch this week. So he's cuffing Shepard and he's yelling at him to look at all these people. Look at them. They're children. They're children, for God's sakes. The boy is hugging his mother. And we cut to a bit later and they're wheeling Shepard into an ambulance and he's screaming that it's it hurts. Give him something that kills. Uh, Hotch sort of gets in to the ambulance with them and he's like, hey, you shot me. <laughs> and... Uh, Hotch points out, well, you had a hunting knife to a little boy's throat, and his, which is true. And uh, this guy's like, well, just give me something for the pain, you son of a bitch. He starts saying, she did it. And Hotch says, who? And he's saying, my mom. You don't know what she did to me. And Hotch says, did you think you were going to get back at her by attacking those other people? And Shepard says, oh, the bitch deserved it. That's his words. Uh, and he doesn't seem to care that he went after innocence. But guess what? Hotch does. He went after children. He tells the paramedic that uh, she- that Shepard is a detoxing drug addict. So no matter what he asks for, don't give him anything. Shepard's like, hey, he's not a doctor. <laughs> Hotch says, no, I'm an FBI agent. And this guy killed a 14-year-old boy today. So I think we know what the ambulance driver is going to do here. Yeah, I, I think uh, ambulance driver probably is still going to give him something at some point just to shut him up there, there's the do no harm kind of oath that he took and does he want to not give him pain if he would give the painkiller to somebody else but you know he's not going to rush and do it mm-hmm. yeah maybe he'll give him an aspirin instead of the morphine <laughs> uh we pan over and see a child's balloons like a scene out of it floating in the sky floating that's a little away. much that's a little much yeah and you know uh- <laughs> You know, I get, I, I get the seriousness of the scene and everything, but all I'm thinking is that if, if this was real life, when Hot shoots the guns up in the in, in the shoulder, you know the kid's going to stumble forward and that gun's going off, and he's going to mm-hmm. spray bullets and probably hit three or four people in real life. It's just, it's a it's a neat CBS little show that you don't. We, it's graphic and everything, but at the end of the day, we're not going to suddenly turn a child into an accidental killer, right? We <laughs> we do cut back to the jet at this point, and we get our in-show uh, quote. The basis of shame is not some personal mistake of ours, but that this humiliation is seen by everyone. Shame and humiliation should have been the title. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that quote was from someone named Mulan, Milan Kundara. I haven't looked them up, but... Uh, if you're one who looks up all of our quotes, that's who that was. <laughs> uh, we do have a last little coda scene on the jet. Gideon is talking to Hotch, asks him if he's okay. And Hotch starts going into the story about some trainees he was showing around the office and how they all wanted to be in the BAU and how he told him what a great job it was. But guess what, Gideon? I didn't tell him the truth. I didn't tell him what it's like to spend your days in this hell. Gideon's like, it's fun, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and and Hot says, you know, who's to blame for somebody like Shepard? 
Is it his mother? Is it a broken home? Society? All of it? None of it? It just gets worse and worse with each case. Gideon reminds him, hey, we save one life, we save the world. No, no, no. That save one the life cheerleader, ha- we save the world. <laughs> yes. That's where I was going, <laughs> I was saying, if that one life is a cheerleader, yes. the shtick writes itself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Hotch does say, you know what? That's true, but there is one thing we didn't tell the trainees. Gideon says, what's that? And Hotch says, we do not get paid enough. And Gideon says, you got that right. Jack. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you should have said that. Uh, and that's the end of the episode. Yeah. I said, it not not my best for me for you, but uh, but still, I, you know, uh, character development. We learn a little bit more about Hotch. We finally get Jack's name, uh, and uh, yes, you know, all in all, it was it was it was an okay episode. You know, if it was, I'm not gonna read every every week's episode on a scale of one to ten, but you know, this is certainly not a below five. You know, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of episodes of this show that. If I just ignore the common sense thread in my brain, it's going to be clunky, but I'm still yes. enjoying the whole process. Uh, not my favorite either, but certainly not not the worst. Um, be honest, I, I even the worst episode we've seen, I, I mean, wasn't that bad. It wasn't great. It's watchable. It, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Not the show is not bad. You know. So uh, how about our barometer? Uh, every week we take a look at the episode and determine if we think that they won, quote unquote, the episode. And uh, that's your department, AJ. Yes. Well, coming into this uh, fine episode, we had a record of two wins, no losses and one tie for the season. And I'm sorry to say we are not going to have a Dolphins undefeated season here because I am calling this one a <laughs> loss. Yes. Well, now... Do tell. I would say they probably saved 48 out of the 50 or so people who were in Jeopardy over the course of this uh, episode. But look, they were nowhere near catching this guy. They were completely in the wrong ballpark by the time he gets into the situation where he shoots up the, the cafe. He'd already killed a guy at the, at the bank robbery that gone bad. Uh, which was only foiled because of the flip phone in the back room. Otherwise, who knows what how much more would have happened there. And they would have had no clues. Zero clues. Um, they got lucky that the unsub devolved when he did. And they were way off base. So I cannot give them the win on this one at all. And quite frankly, from the emotional standpoint, I mean, when Hotch is that destroyed, Hotch, of all people, is that destroyed emotionally, This is a loss. This is a loss for the team. Yes, the unsub was caught, but at the end of the day, they could have probably caught him sooner, and we're very lucky that they did end up, you know, if not for the bounce castle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I'm down with it. I'm down with it. Uh, So this week is a loss, ladies and gentlemen, for the bow team. And and quite frankly, I I, I feel better if they have a couple losses. I don't want an undefeated season. Yeah, and also, I mean, look, look, you look at it from the point of view of like, yes, they're fictional characters, but you know, go with me on this. But like, Hotch himself is sitting on the plane as if they've had a loss as well. So th- that's always a sign when when the the team itself is going, uh, yeah, I don't feel good about this one. I don't feel good about the prospects right now for Hotch's uh, 
relationship with Haley. That doesn't look like it's going too well. Well, I mean, she did let him off the hook eventually. She she twisted the knife a little bit, but she also was like, "All right, you go. We'll talk about it later. Kiss, yeah. kiss." Like, what? What? She didn't. She didn't do the what would have been far worse. Like, if he went in for the goodbye kiss and she pulled back, like that would have been right. brutal. She 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 leaned into the kiss. So you know, simple spice. True, but I just usually don't see them, so I am nervous for them when I do see them. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, and, it's like, and another thing, Aaron, it's been, it's been several months. You still don't know your boy's name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we named him Richard, not Jack, right? <laughs> oh, I didn't, so, I thought it was our Jack Hotchner. I didn't realize it was our Jack Hotchner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boy so uh aj the other thing we like to do uh is a little quiz at the end of each of our episodes yes i like to give you three trivia questions inspired by what we just watched on criminal minds i am a host of another podcast called beat my guest where i do a lot of trivia and so i'm just bringing a little bit of my love of trivia into felonious pundits here is your first question jason wiles he was our unsub in this episode uh you know he got paid for the full episode even though he didn't actually show his face for the first 34 40 minutes there uh but yeah he also didn't show his face on tv for a long time after this episode he in fact took a four-year hiatus from television after this episode aired not a single television credit to his name in that time uh previously he'd been on uh, 90210 for many episodes uh so when he did return Kintad to the screen four years from this episode he starred in an nbc show which was kind of a lost like mystery what's going on type of show called persons unknown so i ask you three of the following four actors did appear on the show persons unknown alongside jason wiles which of these four names did not appear on that show at all your options are a alan rock b Chadwick Boseman, C, Jake Busey, or D, Lola Glaudini. I I vaguely remember this show. I think I watched it once. Certainly don't remember the plot well, the, or the, the cast. Plot, just to <laughs> refresh your memory, and that's ironic because it's a bunch of people wake up in a hotel and they have no idea where they are or how they got there. Um, you know, I wish I could remember if Lola Glaudini Dini was in it. I'm. I. I think maybe it's. It's a trap. I could be wrong. It's a trap. I. 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 I think Alan Ruck seems to be made for this type of show. So I think Alan Ruck was in this. So I'm just trying to determine to myself if I think Chad Chadwick Boseman would have done something like this, or uh, it's a little. Maybe it's a little bit early. But actually. You know, it takes a long time for their an actor to get their career to the point where they're a household name. So he certainly could have been on there uh, at this time. And Jake Busey, I mean, he's another one of those guys that'll show up and crap like this. <laughs> jeez, jeez. So you made it hard. I'm going to go with Jake Busey not being on the cast. Jake Busey is your answer and can talk. Jake Busey is the correct answer. Well done. Nicely done there. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Jake Lucy. <laughs> not, but yes, uh, Chadwick Boseman. This was like uh, one of his breakthrough roles before he made it big. And uh, I had completely forgotten he was on the show. And a little while back, I was re- refreshing my memory on the show and forgot that Lola Guadini and Chadwick Boseman were on the show. Just, uh, Jason Wiles, I had remembered, was on the show. Uh, like I said, he was on uh, Beverly Hills 90210. He played Colin, uh, a cokehead boyfriend of Kelly Taylor for for <laughs> a good chunk of time there. I do want to throw in uh, one of the other things we do on this show is we sometimes make you make predictions. And since we just lost a prediction uh, from the, the pot, finding out, Jake, uh, finding out that Jack is the name, not Richard, I want to throw another one on the board here. So... Uh, from this point forward, so not including Jason Wiles, how many more people are we going to see on Criminal Minds who were on Beverly Hills 90210 in a regular capacity? So I'm going to say anyone who appeared in, you know, 10 or more episodes, not someone who made like a one-time guest spot, but someone who was in the credits or who was on an extended story arc. Uh, how many more 90210 alums will we see and we will begin our count next week and see how far we get um i'm gonna say that this number is gonna be relatively high aj i mean relatively speaking for show i'm gonna assume um at some point we're gonna get tory spelling just because (laughs) uh i also think both uh Priestley and Perry, uh, while really big when 90210 was happening, I think they both did some TV uh, appearances after that to try to keep it going. Uh, if it wasn't for, for Sharknado, you know, <laughs> I Ian Ziering or how I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it, it, he would he would probably be someone doing a Criminal Minds, and you know, Sweet Gabby. Sweet, sweet, 20 years older than everyone else, Gabby. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what, AJ, I'm going to go with, you know, they have their parents. They have the guy at the at the, the, the uh, peach pit. I, I'm going to go with eight people. Eight people. All right, we will yeah. keep tabs on that. and uh, A lot of people. If and when they show up, uh, we, will, we will continue. Right now, our running total is at 9021. Oh, it's an O. But we'll see how high we get there. Well done on that, and well done on getting the question correct. So let's keep the momentum going with question two. So name either of the women who starred opposite Vince Vaughn in the 1998 remake of the drama Psycho. Because this episode is Psycho Drama, so I read a question about the drama Psycho. Because <laughs> you say flip the order of the words there. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. Either of the two women who starred opposite Vince Vaughn in the 1998 remake, shot by sh- shot for shot remake, by the way, shot for shot remake by uh, Gus Van Zandt, starring Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. Yeah. Who were either of the two main women in that movie? I am trying to remember. It's killing me, AJ. It's Buffett killing me. With my song? Mm hmm. I can't remember. I I didn't see it. I I just thought the whole idea no was dumb. Um, <laughs> uh, and it may be a brilliant movie, but I couldn't tell you. Uh, 
So I'm just going to go with a guess here because I I don't know at all. I'm going to go with the uh, Chloe Savini. Do you know who I'm trying to say? Chloe Sav- Chloe Savini. Yes, of course. Yeah. She seemed like yes. something she would do. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Unfortunately, not the correct answer. Uh, we are looking for either Julianne Moore. No, really? <laughs> or, or, speaking of crazy, Anne Heche. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was the there shower. Was she was the sh- I remember scene. now. I can now picture her doing the shower scene. Uh, she was the Janet Lee role in that. There you go. In that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember it now. I don't remember. didn't remember it till that you told me, but. Well, obviously you didn't, you didn't answer it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. My favorite question every week. Ooh, did you hear that? Thunderclap. Yeah. It's about to. Ooh, it's, it's time for the unlucky 13. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here is the plot of next episode Criminal Minds, Season 2, Episode 5, entitled Aftermath. Aftermath. What is that plot? Here are your four choices. We have A. After a hurricane hits a coastal town. And it sounds like a hurricane is hitting the coastal town right now. After a hurricane hits a coastal town, a series of homicides is the next wave of terror. Is it B? L is used as bait to try and draw out a rapist who has suddenly gone dormant. Is it C? Reed and Morgan are in an elevator during a power outage unaware that the man trapped with them just killed someone? Or is it D? Shaken up by the events of the episode Psychodrama, Hotch decides to spend time at home with his son, only to have a case hit very close to home. Ooh. Oh, you're so good at this, AJ. (laughs) Uh, I like like D, but I'm not going to choose it. I feel like, again... That maybe you being sneaky, although maybe you know that I think you're going to be sneaky and therefore you would make it that. But I'm not going to go with that. Um, I really want to see Reed and and Morgan trapped on an elevator together. That sounds awesome. Uh, But it doesn't sound likely to be the plot of an episode. I could be wrong. This could be based on an episode that's upcoming. I feel like we've heard the L is used as bait before. <laughs> um, I uh, And we have the hurricane is ch- choice A. So I'm going to go, after much deliberation in my head, I'm going to go with choice B. This week L will be bait for whatever you said it should be bait for. <laughs> <laughs> Um, L is used as bait to try and draw out a rapist who has suddenly gone dormant is what you have uh, suggested might be the plot of next week's episode and while if I were writing the show I would certainly follow up with Hotch spending time at home with his son I made that one up fake 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 and you are correct L is going to be used as bait oh dear oh dear you have done it Uh, I'm not I'm not looking forward to it, but because I really want that elevator trap uh, scene. 
between Reed and Morgan. But I disappoint okay. myself sometimes after I write these, going, "Oh, that would be a really cool episode." <laughs> <laughs> wow! How did you do, Felonious Pundi out there? Did you did you did you beat my score? Did you beat AJ's guest? Uh, you know, these are fun. These quizzes, and also AJ's podcast is great. Give it a listen. Beat my guest. Uh, and that's the show for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast and your favorite podcast platform. Uh, spread the word if you can. Let your friends know about us. Uh, they can have seen Criminal Minds. They cannot have seen Criminal Minds. They might uh, enjoy the show just for our sparkling, dazzling personalities. <laughs> so that's it. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Love your children and they will be able to outgrow you. Ignore your children and they will be obsessed with you for life. Alan DeBoten. <laughs>